Hello, welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Tyler Coltman. I am joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, this is our penultimate race of the season. We have only one more of these for the 2022 season. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a long road, and we have a lot to get to today because it was a very busy three-day week. Uh, three three race week. Uh, three, nope. Two race, three day, three main day, main event days. Three main event days over two races. Yeah. It I know where you're going with it. It was a three <laughs> event long weekend. And it was great that it was the long weekend because we had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all with Formula One content. Uh, before we get there, let's really quickly uh, give a shout out to our presenting sponsor of this week's episode of the Pit Stop Podcast, Betstamp. Betstamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking, and sports betting odds. You would never go with just the first price you find when you were shopping for flights. So why would you settle for the first odds you find when trying to place a bet? Betstamp changes it, makes it easy, streamlined. Using their app allows you to find a wide spectrum of odds for any bet. Then it makes it easy to track your bets all in one place. You can set alerts in case the line changes mid-game. You can learn what bets your friends or even some celebrity bettors are making. You can download Betstamp's app for free. And please, when you do, sign up with the code ORDINARY so they know we sent you. All right, let's get to it, Tyler. As I said, we had three big days of Formula One content because it was a sprint weekend uh, in uh, Interlagos, Brazil. We had qualifying Friday. We had a sprint race Saturday and we had the main event on Sunday. Let's start at the beginning because there's lots to cover. Qualifying. Best part. Best part. And look, I have said all season long, there's nothing better than a touch of rain in qualifying. I don't want it to rain the whole time, but I love it when there's a little bit of rain. A little bit of rain maybe in one corner, up the hill at Spa, but not the whole track. This was awesome. So qualifying obviously was shifted, as I said, Friday. It's a little bit different. You don't have as much practice time. The teams don't have as much time to sort of dial in their package. So you kind of, you, we have seen another sprint weekends and we're going to talk big, more big picture about the sprint in a second, but like sprint weekends have often led to some surprising outcomes. And obviously this was no exception. We had qualifying three suspended after George Russell goes off. The rain has come and gone, but it's coming back because of that. Mr. Kevin Magnuson of Haas is sitting there atop the timing charts and everyone, everyone is sitting at home going, oh, please let this hold because what an awesome story. How excited were you when you saw it happen in real time? And then, of course, when it became clear no one else was going to get a better time. I mean, it's a great story. I was sweating, sweating. when Because they went out for one lap and Magnuson, the team put him in a perfect position to be the first one out. So he had clear air. He was, and he nailed it, aced that lap. And then they said, Hey, you got to come in. It's going to start raining. Um, it, and the, just the conversation with him and his race director being like, Hey, what position am I in? You're <laughs> P1 mate. No, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Like that moment, man, like brought tears to my eyes. Cause you knew, like, I was so worried for like the next eight minutes. It's like, please, Please don't let anyone go out there. And then Lewis Hamilton went out and I'm like, no, 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 no. what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And he just did it because he's now an honorary citizen in Brazil. So he just went out there so the fans could see him go around the track again, which in itself, super awesome and respectful thing to do. Um, But like to have Kevin Magnuson, eight drivers, like they said, all weekend, eight drivers went out for that one lap and they all had a chance to put in the fastest time. And Kevin Magnuson put in the fastest time and then it just stuck there. And he just had to sit. I was at home on my couch freaking out. Like imagine being him in the pit 
like of his car, just sitting in that little box, like, like, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And you saw Gunther Steiner talking to uh, um, Haas over the radio, like over the his cell phone. Man, it was just such a good moment. And these are the things I thought about immediately when I was watching this um, qualifying. Was that this is will forever, ever, ever, and ever and ever. You cannot take this away from Kevin Magnussen. He is a pole setter in an F1 race, which he was not before. It was his first time. He was out of Formula One two years ago. This it, the storyline behind this is unbelievable. Um, so everyone was super happy for him. But this is the thing you'd watch as a fan when you're not just trying to watch a winner. When the championship is decided and everything's you kind of know who is winning the whole thing is this moment right here where something like this happens where someone unexpected gets to be in a position where they've won something they're happy they come across the checkered flag first it was unbelievable moment that it set up the weekend which is the best weekend of the year if you ask me and i think brazil i always say that monza is my favorite race but man brazil back-to-back weekends like last year in brazil and this year in brazil with these races and these weekends, give them the sprint every year. Do not change it. Give Brazil, the, it is a perfect track for sprint. It's a perfect track for passing, straight corners. It's a perfect track for this weekend. Please do not take it away from them. Yeah, that's a great point. We're going to get to the sprint in a second because I do have a question kind of about that as we, we're learning more about what the sprint's going to look like moving forward. But really quickly, let's let's just wrap up qualifying here. The two other big storylines for me with the actual quality was obviously the incident with Alpine. And the beginning of what was going to be a bit of a tumultuous weekend for Alpine. Obviously, the sprint is where the real mess occurred. But already, you could sense the tension there is just very, very uncomfortable. I think a little bit like Gasly over at AlphaTauri, there's a lot of people who are just like really hoping they can get through the next couple of weeks and just move on. They're ready to just move on. And clearly, Alonzo is, you know, you have the old saying, like, one foot out the door. Dude, he's fucking all the way out the door. He is so ready to be done with this drama. You can tell that... Um, Ottmeyer and 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 Ocon are ready to be to see the backside of him, uh, you know, out the door, and ho- hopefully not in another car because they probably won't see the backside of the uh, Aston Martin next year. But uh, that was part of it. And then the second one that I wanted to ask you more about because obviously you are our resident Ferrari uh, sympathizer. Um, Leclerc goes out on the intermediates, and it's almost like weekly now. There's Ferrari's going to do something dumb. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 inevitable. It's 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 like the sun comes up every morning, and Ferrari will do something dumb. And this was kind of their dumb thing for the weekend. Because to be fair, from this point on, it was a very pedestrian weekend for them. They actually had a pretty good race. We'll get to that later. But Leclerc on the inters, what on earth were they doing? No one else was on the inters. But they think suddenly it was just gonna like like what's going on again there's no there's no reason for them to be on interest it didn't make any sense and you're right ferrari ferrari is ferrari man like what why do we have to stop like we know who they are why are we even like surprised by it anymore it's we know who they are the player didn't understand it and you can watch them on the pit lane they're like the six people that sit on the pit lane in front of all the computers and all the like graphs and everything with the the ability to talk to everyone um with the radios is they're all also kind of they look dumb like they just look stupid like they make a decision and then they look around like does anyone did anyone see that is it's like you know when you walk down the street and you hit a weird part of the sidewalk where you kind of take a half step stumble and you catch yourself and you're like i hope no one in the car saw that that is ferrari making decisions every single weekend 
They're walking down the street. They trip. They catch themselves, and they hope that the pretty girl down the way didn't notice them. Yeah, we did national television, international Always. television. It's a camera on them at all times. You. you know, no, it's it. Yeah. Anyway, I I just thought it was worth highlighting because, uh, I mean, it's become it's become more it's than laughable. Just a, it's, it's a habit. I mean, you got to think. Point. Okay, when we're getting back, they go one race left. They're they got to fire everybody, right? Just keep the two drivers because we know they're good and fire everybody else. Yeah. We've talked about it that's, all year. That's what they should do. We can't be the only ones that have, have discussed this. There has to be internal discussions at Ferrari. That's like something's wrong. We can't fire the drivers. So we fire the coaches. It happens in every other sport. It has to happen at Ferrari. We'll see, I guess. Anyway. Um, or just leave. change the color of the car and do, just forget about your entire, go green and forget about your entire history and all your mistakes. Those are the two options. Yeah, fair enough. Let's leave. Let's leave qualifying for a second. Let's jump to the sprint. So obviously, as you mentioned, this track is set up so perfectly for what the sprint was designed and intended to do right which was allow midfield teams to improve uh under race conditions where they might have struggled with just flat out speed during traditional qualifying shake up the grid a little bit add another wrinkle add another element it rewards um risk taking where a lot of teams obviously don't want to take that risk and i think the other thing from the bigger perspective in terms of how the entire weekend is affected by it, you can see which teams are able to very quickly make assessments about what their cars need and the condition and tire, you know, management and all of those things. And some teams can't, some teams really rely on the traditional weekend setup with practice and all of these opportunities to gather data. Whereas other teams are able to make quicker, uh, more kind of heads up decisions. I would argue Red Bull seems to have struggled a little bit with this change in structure because they certainly didn't feel like the same kind of organizational team. And I'm not talking about what we will get to the other part of the organization, mm-hmm. but just strategically, they, 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 they had tire issues. They've never had this season. You know, they should be the fastest car out there and they weren't, they weren't kind of dialed in. Whereas Mercedes last year and this year have loved Brazil for this kind of weekend. Um, obviously, you know, lots of incidents in the sprint, as we talked about with with Ocon and, and Alonso there. I think we had some uh, contact with a couple other people. But the point was we were able to see, you know, some some kind of like, I don't know, racing in a different in a different way. Obviously, it was great to see uh, our pole sitter Magnuson out there and, and he held on for, uh, you know, I think he it was like point. two full laps. He point. Yeah. yeah, he did, but he held the lead of the sprint yeah. for two laps. Sure, it's not a Grand Prix, but hey, you can say you led an F1 race, uh, whether it's the sprint or not. Last year, they didn't want to call them races. Now they've accepted that they're sprint races. But what yeah, were the highlights sure. of the sprint for you? Um, the highlights of the sprint was just the fact that it was a great race. Yeah. Like the, the race had passing. It had, because a lot of the times in the sprint races, you don't see people wanting to pass because they don't want to take the risk of having the car out for the whole weekend or going all the way back to like 20th to 17th spots. So yeah. they kind of just say, Hey, if I'm in seventh, I'll just stay in seventh. That's pretty good qualifying for me. But this sprint race, you had people passing. The track is wide enough that you can do it safely. Now saying that there was obviously places where it wasn't safe and teammates were hating each other. Um, but right from sprint, the one thing I noticed was that Mercedes looked fast and you kind of knew that I've been, Hey, I said, Last week and two weeks ago, Mercedes is going to win this race. I said Hamilton was going to win this race, you but did. I said Mercedes. That is a, that is a point for me because I knew that they were going to win 100%. one, and they won one. 
but let's, we'll talk about that. But the sprint race, that's when you kind of knew that Mercedes looked different this weekend. Um, Red Bull tried to keep up, but yeah, you're right. They were never really, there was something off about them this weekend, which we'll talk about when it comes to talking about the race. But the one thing I was a little upset was that Magnussen did start falling back, but that's the car, right? Yeah. The car is not supposed to be in the top five. It is a top six car on race days. Top, usually it should be in the points most weekends, but he got a point, which was great. And obviously he was super happy from the, the pole position, but the sprint race itself was the defining. I think that was the last straw for Ocon and Alonso. Oh yeah. And clearly the first of what was going to be a few different, very tense team meetings behind closed doors. Uh, obviously those two guys had to have a coming together because they had to deal with yeah. it. And then, uh, it, you know, it did have a, a moment in the race where we were wondering how that was going to play out. We can get to that in a second, but interesting. I love that Otmar, Otmar, the Alpine director was yeah. the guy that was doing the live, um, yeah. feed yeah. instead of the Red Bull asshole. Yeah, um, it's no, I know his name. I'm not going to oh, say oh, it. Oh, again, oh. <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> um, Otmar, we have done saying names at Red Bull. Okay, uh, Otmar, I love that he was on there for because it was tense. Oh, perfect. That yeah. is so tense. And Alonzo, I don't, there's the thing about Alonzo. Grass is always greener, buddy. You think that Ocon is a worse driver than Lance Stroll? Do you not think that Lance Stroll is going to give you the exact fucking problems that Ocon is giving you at Alpine? You're going to have the same quality car. So Ocon, they can, at least at Alpine, you can argue, I'm a better driver. I should be driver number one. I should be driver A at Alpine. I'm the better driver. Look at my career compared to Ocon's career. Look how dangerous he is compared to me. I'm the better driver. He can say that at Alpine. Now, he can also say that over with Aston Martin, but you have to say it to the driver's father that you're competing against. Yep. So what are you going to do? You're going to go over there and all of a sudden make a bunch of decisions because your driver won? No. You are an old man over there. You are there as a name and to help Lance Stroll be better. So you yeah. are going to find your play, yourself in a position where you're dealing with the same bullshit from a worse driver. So if you're mad now, what do you think is going to happen when you leave yeah. for that situation? You're not wrong. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I have a lot of question marks about it, but I think at the end of the day, I think the decisions that were made in that situation were made less, I think about the two drivers and I think more about the organization, but you're right. You're not, it's not like he's stepping into some championship contending team. That's just going to, this is just going to be a cakewalk and it's going to be easy and comfortable. This is going to be a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. regardless uh, because he is competing with a guy who carries a lot of different kinds of baggage with him, obviously Um, really quickly here. Last, last sort of note on the sprint, because then I'm going to ask you a question about a bigger picture about on the sprint. Russell obviously had a very good sprint. Yes. Signs also had a very good sprint. And I'm not just saying because they both finished there, but, but in terms of, you know, being able to demonstrate that they were able to, I don't know, just keep a cool head. And that would be a big storyline going into the actual race. But for Russell, you know, this set up what was going to come 
obviously it felt good for him to be able to get out there and, and have a good sprint and, and hold off. What we came very clearly was two Red Bulls that just quite, weren't quite there, even in the sprint, which was great. But for me, it was like, oh, okay. So even if Russell just wins the sprint as a, as a Mercedes fan, I was, I was already kind of like half satisfied. I was like, this is great. This shows me that they're they're right there. We know they're knocking on the door. They're going to have a good offseason. They should be in a position to compete again next year. Everything you want as a fan is being set up. And then obviously the race takes it over the top. Here's my question for you. We know there are six sprints next season. Six. Yeah. They have not yet announced where they're going to be. So you and me together here, I want us to pick where we would like the sprints to be. All right. Now, I think it's easy. We can pick one right now because it's going to be Brazil. They have to do this at Brazil every year. Like this needs to be Brazil's signature thing because first off, it's a short track. It's an incredibly well laid out track for overtaking, even in a regular race, which we've seen. And obviously last year it was demonstrated again. This is a perfect track for this. I think this track was like supersized by the fact that these new regulations do make these cars easier to follow. And that's been like a misnomer. Some places that's really been a factor. And a lot of places this season we've shown, it's like, nah, it's actually not quite as powerful as we thought it was going to be. But here they were already able to do it. Now they can do it with a little extra, you know, zip that DRS here is so valuable and it's great. Cause you've got them close back to back where it's like guys get really close off that first one and they make a little dive and they don't get there. And then the next one is right thereafter. So you know that they're going to make that next overtake. So the sprint is awesome here. So Brazil comes off the list. You get five more. Now we've seen it previously um, at Monza. We've seen it previously at Silverstone. Where would you go? You can have those two. I would go to Monza. Else? Okay, I would go Monza's to Monza great. because every year, and the, the thing about the Brazil race that is also good for sprint is that it, the overtakes don't cause a lot of crashes. I know we see we saw some hits this weekend, sure. but they don't cause a lot of, generally the overtakes are in safe areas where it's not, and these guys are smart enough to know not to do it there. But Monza, I think, is also the same type of track where there's lots of surprises at Monza each year um, in terms of podium that, that just to get another race there would even just mix it up a little bit more. So I think Monza right off the top, because also that was before this back-to-back, like Brazil, Monza are my two favorite races. So I'd love obviously to see that. Um, All right. So there we go. And then I'd go Spain. To Barcelona. Barcelona circuit. Yeah. That's the a good drivers one. love that place. Yeah, that's There's good. high speed twists, there's turns, a lot of steering. Um, I think that circuit would make for for a good sprint race, just especially because that's when the drivers are there and they're performing at their best because they for sure. So I would give you another one in the same kind of category of race that everyone seems to love. And that would be spa. It's a little bit longer track. So it'd be a little bit different, but again, it's one of those tracks where you have a lot of high speed opportunities for overtaking and stuff. I think the thing they've been trying to do is kind of, keep this at some of the more sort of traditional circuits. I'd like them to do it in a couple different ones. Cause I think it'd be interesting to see. I mean, the other one for me would be Canada. Just I was going to say Canada. I, I yeah. think Canada is a great circuit for the same reason. You've got lots of high speed overtake opportunities, but there's also some technical elements to it. Now, Canada traditionally is not as easy a circuit to overtake, but that doesn't mean that in the sprint situation, you couldn't, you know, that, 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 that couldn't be the case. So those I, would be, I will my hold, first off, two. hold off on that one thing though because you said it's not easy to overtake, but since 2009, the Canadian Grand Prix circuit has averaged over 50 overtakes per Grand Prix. There you go. So the, sometimes these things are misnomers. When so, oh, it's too hard to overtake here, and yet clearly the data shows the, the other number, way. Yeah, the data shows different things. So I here's... Would, yep, go ahead. Where you I was going to throw... I bet you it's going to be the same th- thing. I bet you're going to say the same one as I am. Yeah. Go. Oh, I don't think so, because I was going to go way off the board. Where were you going to go? I'm going, I'm going Great Britain. 
Silverstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silverstone's Silverstone's a get. That's a, not a what gimmick. you're gonna say though. I will. No, I, I, I but I, I 100. It's on my list. But I have a, I have a more outside the box one. Okay? okay. I would like them to do this at one of the street circuits where it's harder traditionally to overtake because I think it would be interesting to see what these guys would do. The one street circuit I think where you do get some interesting overtaking is in Singapore. Okay. Because Singapore at night, the spectacle of it, just the energy of it. Maybe you do the sprint in the day so that the, the Grand Prix at night. I don't know. But that would be one for me. The other one that I thought of was Baku, but I think Baku is just too technically difficult. It's like Mon, it's like it's that's like it's like Monaco light. It's just there's too it's too technical. So I think Singapore would be the street circuit that it would be fun to kind of see it on. Um, and then the, the last one I wanted to throw out there because we don't even know what it's gonna be like, but they this will want and this isn't this isn't I'd like it to be here. I'm telling you it will be here. There is no way that with what the spectacle Vegas yeah, is going to be next year, yeah, that they don't right. do a sprint yeah. because they get the three day weekend out of it. And they will 100% pick Vegas. Yeah, we have no idea so how that money. circuit's going to go, but it's so all about that's a business thing. So yeah. I'm excited to see what it looks like. What were the they'll other ones for it. you? Any other one jumped to mind? Well, I was going to say they'll do one in the States. I hope it's not fucking Miami because that could be Austin. Stunk. Austin probably would actually be an okay circuit. Player. Austin would be good because it's also, it's been there the longest. So it, yeah, should the three, but track. you're not wrong. Vegas is Vegas would make a billion dollars if they do a sprint race there. They'd probably make a billion dollars anyway. Yeah, okay, make ten billion dollars. But you're right; they'll probably put it there just for the spectacle. I would like to see the Japanese Grand Prix get. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, Suzuka is a good track for that too. It's also got those banked corners. You got some high speed areas. That'd be a good track for it. Actually. And the drivers love it. All right. I think we've put together pretty. I mean, it's more than six we've listed. Yeah, we put together, I, we've got the whole. We've got the whole hey, circuit. What it show, <laughs> the, look, in the next decade, this could be the future. Honestly, I think people are really enjoying it now. There's certain places where this just doesn't work right now. You would not do this at Monaco. But, no, you would not do this. Be, that would be brutal to do it. But at it's exciting to see that they're going to try it in six different places. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they drop back down to like four or five. I'm I'm all for it though. This this last weekend in Brazil definitely. If I wasn't already like convinced, I am fully converted to believing that this is an exciting wrinkle. I don't need it every weekend, but I want it more than we've had it. And I'm excited yeah. we're going to six. Now the tracks, you're right. The tracks will be the the defining success of sprint races in the future after next season. I think there's something that does need to be happening with Monaco. I, a sprint race, I don't think is the right answer, but there's just no overtaking there. There's no there's no passing there. So the qualifying is more important than. Yeah. And that's certainly itself. what's been true, right? Qualifying yeah. there is kind of what you get rewarded for, but yeah. um, we're going to talk about Monaco in a second. Let's talk about the race. And you have to start from, you have to start for me with the victory for George Russell. Okay. Because, because I, I'm, I'm not going the other that. way. I'm glad you George said. Russell for me has, I've, I've, I've done like a roller coaster with this kid. It's like, I remember in the early days of following the sport, early days of watching the Netflix series and just frustrated with who he was. Couldn't figure him out. Felt like he was some kind of like posh British kid who he had all of the like schmarmy stereotypical elements in terms of how I was first introduced to him. And then slowly, like the layers of the onion peeled back and I started to recognize that this guy has a huge heart. He cares a lot about not only his, his own success and his own career, but around about the people around him. He clearly 
cared a lot about the team there at Williams, wanted the team to be successful as well as himself, recognized the role he was playing, knowing he was destined to end up with Mercedes. You know, there's reports that Albon is there at Williams in large part to references given by George Russell personally. He is a good guy in a lot of different ways and he has worked really hard. Can you imagine being signed by like the best team in your sport for a decade? being you know drafted there or being signed as a free agent with the expectation that oh man i'm going for a championship and then all of a sudden very quickly realizing that that is not going to happen and that you are right back in a rebuild and in this case had to work hard had like he had a great bahrain beginning of the year he's on the podium like it was like oh everything's going great for george he almost won that race and then all of a sudden the whole long slog of this season learning how to build a team again, how to make this thing work. And now they're starting to see results. And for him, for me as a fan of Mercedes and a very much now a fan of George Russell, I could not have been happier for him. Obviously would have been awesome to see Lewis win. It might be the only chance Lewis has be a huge blemish on his career record. And I'm sure it hurts, but I know he also is excited for the fact that this kid gets his very first victory. I said at the beginning of the season, I thought four different drivers were going to get their first podium or their first, their, their first wins. Only two, but now it's two. Carlos Sainz and George Russell. And for me, it was just like, this was George Russell's weekend. Magnuson and George Russell. Well, that's, so I would say, I wouldn't say it's George Russell's weekend. I would say that this weekend is split between the two of them. All right, fine. Because of the cars that they are in is the only thing like that. The moment watching Kevin Magnuson to me was more heart-wrenching than the George Russell thing because the George Russell thing, the kid is, he's a kid. He has the entire like F1 at his fingertips. He will go far. He will be, he will be the next driver for the next 10 years. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere else. I thought you were going to be bolder than that. He, he's probably I'm ready to be next, bolder than that. I can tell George right Russell will be a champion. championship. He's next I don't know if he's next year's. Okay, wow. He that's is bold. next that's year's bold. champion. He went even one step further. He will be a world champion. George Russell will be a world champion. I think he'll be a next. I think he'll be next year's champion. Wow. And the only reason I'm saying that, I the I don't, and I think that the person that's going to finish second is also going to be a Mercedes driver. Um, and you don't think Mercedes is going to make sure that eight championship is sitting I think there. there'll be certain circumstances where it doesn't happen which is oh. kind of like if there's anything about the future that showed up in this race it's between it's the story of three teams and their teammates and I'll get to that later when we start talking about the drama but I 100% agree with you that George Russell deserved this we knew he was going to be there though he was almost there his first time ever in a Mercedes car yeah so I think like everything, George Russell to me, it was not a surprise that he was going to win. It was not a surprise that he won after he won the sprint race. And it was awesome to see him win. And it was fun to watch him win. That race was fun. Everything about it was fun. Um, so it's just, it wasn't like, that's the thing is it wasn't surprising. Whereas with Kevin Magnuson, he was out. He was never, he was probably in his mindset, never going to win a pole position. Well, Haas has never won a pole position, yeah. so why would he so think he was, he just was going happy to? to be on the track? Yeah. Whereas George Russell, this is the thing about George Russell that I love, and I, I, I never at one point didn't like him. Um, to me, I just saw a kid that was hungry to win, but was yeah. polite about it. He was always polite about it. He's got a baby face with the heart of a dog. That is George Russell. 
And that was why at the beginning of this year, I said Lewis Hamilton and George Russell are not a good fit together because George Russell is not going to back down to Lewis Hamilton. George Russell is going to be polite and do what the team asked him to do up to the same type of standards and reasons that George, um, that signs and Leclerc do. Well, remember when signs was told to, Hey, back off 10 paces and said, no, that doesn't make any sense. That would be the same type of thing that George Russell would do, which is why all four of those drivers, I respect the hell out of. So I've, I've always thought that George Russell was going to be where he's going to be. And I think next year is going to be a wake up call for everybody. Oh, in it. I think that's awesome. I mean, I agree with you uh, on, on much of it. I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far on the bold prediction, but well, you gotta be believe, bold or else no one's listening. Jordan. I, I do think he will be a world <laughs> champion one day. Uh, and it'll be, it, it's not in the, too distant future the big the big takeaway for me was how calm he was throughout this race and especially after the the safety car where you know a lot of people i think in that first attempt i mean even him himself if you look back at that race you mentioned where he sat in for lewis like the pressure was pretty hot and I, you could see it kind of got to him and obviously it wasn't his fault that there was a mix-up with tires and it was a pit stop that really cost him that day but the pressure was hot and he was a little bit, I think, overwhelmed by it. He is not overwhelmed by the pressure anymore. He reminds me in that sense of, of Max Verstappen, a young driver who has the kind of head of a, of a wily old veteran. He feels at all times like he, he's seen it, done it. He's ready to go. He had Lewis, a seven-time world champion, breathing down his neck there at the end and never even gave him a sniff. Made it you know, as decisive as it could be uh, under all of those circumstances, made it very comfortable for himself and 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 a, a well-deserved victory, obviously, and fantastic for Mercedes to get the one, too. And all season, George has been like this. This is That's not right. just this race. He's been, I think, the first, what, 10 races he was top five? Something like that. Yeah, and he and he has outperformed his teammate. Even he's, I think literally he would have to not of, finish. Yeah, he'd have yeah, to so not he has finish, to not finish in the points. And if Lewis would have to in win. The points, Lewis has to win. If Lewis doesn't yeah. win... No, I mean, it's a great story and it, it, it says a lot that you, that, you know, he steps into that role. It, 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 it proves one thing, which is that the Mercedes development program right now has done a better job preparing its young drivers for the pressure when they get there. Unlike Red Bull, who we saw Gasly and Albon struggle to fit in next to what the energy of Max Verstappen was. We will get to that in a second. I know we keep teasing it. We're getting there. You can skip ahead if that's why you're here. I don't want to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, skip ahead if that's why you're here. It shouldn't be why you're here. Why you should be here is because of how amazing this weekend was for every yes. other driver Correct. out there. So let's let's quickly touch on a few of those. I wanted to talk about Alpine again because, you know, there was a little bit of drama during this race, but it ended up being an incredibly good Sunday for them overall as a team because both McLarens did not finish. And it's yeah. pretty much put that fight to bed. I mean, they literally yep. would have to have a debacle in, in Abu Dhabi. But because you had Ricardo a little well, more than a little, very aggressive <laughs> to start this race and cause yeah. himself some problems. But then he also old... took out the hero of the weekend. What a mess, eh? Uh, not a great way to not a great way to endear yourself to future employers. No. But but uh, also you have uh, Norris who had issues from an incident, and then later the car failing on him. Mm-hmm. So from Alpine's perspective, like it could not have gone better that way. But there was this kind of like. I don't know. There's this, this raw tension through a lot of the race being like, 
okay, what happens when the two of them get near each other? Because this has been a bit of a dicey weekend already. Time. We the do not want to, we, we're testing out how well this truce will hold. And obviously we got a sense of that coming out of the safety car there at the end where you heard the radio, where basically the team orders to Ocon were, Alonzo has pace. If you can pass Vettel, pass him, but do not fight your teammate. And Ocon coming back on being like, I have to fight Vettel. It's my job to fight Vettel. Yes, we heard you, Esteban. <laughs> Do not fight. Uh, you know, uh, and then it was like, please confirm. Copy. Please, please copy. <laughs> that was my favorite part. It was and like race give them Vettel. Both credit. They didn't. Yeah. No, they didn't. He got by him, and and he, then he got by Vettel, and then he let Alonso pass, and it was very yeah. anticlimactic. But the radio, you're right, was the best part about it. And also, Fernando Alonso started 17th. Yeah. He was in 17th and finished fifth. Yeah, great race. Like, yeah, Alonzo still pace. got it, man. Alonzo still has it. He yeah. still has a fight, which is why I'm so frustrated that he's leaving Alpine. Hey, man, Alpine if he can turn, if he can turn Aston Martin around, like if he can put the same level of competitive in that car, which we actually have seen improve, because to be fair, Vettel has driven the hell out of that car in the last couple of weeks, right? Um, now, it's it's always kind of come back to the median, but there's definitely potential in what the project over there at Aston Martin is. And I think just having a driver like Fernando Alonso, as opposed to the other guy is going to definitely allow them to see some level of results, which is good. Um, But obviously there. So I I wanted to touch at Alpine. Look, Ferrari for all of their shortcomings throughout the rest of the weekend had a very like comfortable and straightforward race. They managed to to pull off three and four, which were really important points for Leclerc. Now, he would like to have overtaken at the end there, as he said on the radio. But I think in this situation, it was very clear to Ferrari. There's no way you take a podium away from a guy. So this is, okay, you're ramping me up right now. when Carlos Sainz drove as well as he has. Because it's interesting, Carlos Sainz's season, and I I just want to talk about that part, because as I say, we're almost done the season. Carlos Sainz's season has really been kind of two tails like he started off very uncomfortable in this car it was way too understeery for him he couldn't get his head wrapped around it he really struggled to get results right when ferrari really needed them and could have made a difference in how this season played out and then right as it started to fall apart for for charles carlos all of a sudden seemed to just kind of figure it out and he's had a mm-hmm. very stable second half of the season now not all the greatest results but he but when he's finished races, he's been in the top five. He's been putting up podiums. He's done very, very well. So I think from that perspective, you can see the development changing a little bit there at Ferrari, that you've now got two drivers who at least are both competing at the same level as each other. And if they can go into next season with that place, that's the best sort of case for Ferrari. Because there was a time there where it was like, this Carlos thing might not work out at Ferrari. Yeah. He's definitely done. He's definitely done a much better job throughout the. And and as I say, for this, for me, for this race, it was pretty good. What do you? What are your thoughts on Ferrari there at the end? Okay, well, this we're gonna get into it now, because my, this is okay. Okay, here we go. This is what everyone's been waiting for. The Red Bull, this whole race, and the team, and the directors. This is the, this is the moment that defines how I feel about all of them, and it comes down to three teams: Ferrari, Mercedes, and the Red Bull team. And how they treat the drivers and the decisions they made this weekend completely reflect how they should or or what is or what their drivers are about and what their team is about. Now, because you're talking about Ferrari, let's talk about Ferrari. Sure. And then I'll tee up the Red Bull one for you. Carlos Sainz finished ahead of Charles Leclerc last year. 
So, so hold the brakes, Leclerc. Carlos Sainz also was driving as good, if not better, at a lot, a lot of the moments or the, a lot of the tracks this year for this overall season. Yes. Correct. So hold the brakes, Leclerc. Carlos Sainz is also fighting for a cha- like a championship spot. He is only five points behind Hamilton. He's six points behind Hamilton after this weekend. Leclerc is tied with Perez. I understand, Leclerc, that you want to pass Sainz. I get that. That is a selfish fucking move, and I did not like it. I did not appreciate it. I didn't like the radio calls to say, let me ahead of him. He's in a podium. He's 100% in a better spot in a situation that you should never ask your teammate to give up a podium so that you can have what three extra points. Yeah. So I, I did not appreciate that. And I did like that. Red Bull was like, no, we're not going to do that. Carlos Sainz will never ask him to do that. I appreciated that about, sorry, uh, Ferrari. I appreciated that about Ferrari, even though they made a ton of problematic choices all year long, they kind of understand that they're in a weird spot where they don't have a number one driver. It is Leclerc right now, but last year Signs was better than him. At moments this year, Signs was more promising than Leclerc. So they they handled that perfectly this year or this this last race. Yeah. So I didn't. I I am a Leclerc fan. I would say that I'm a Ferrari guy until this year started happening, and I'm kind of just going to go all Alpine next year and forget the red. So the the way they handled it, I thought was perfectly. Signs also said at the end of the race. If the team orders were for him to go behind Leclerc so Leclerc gets the points, he would have did it. Now, I understand that's easy to say after the matter of fact, uh, specifically because he's not done things that they wanted him to do in the past. But the fact that he came out and said that, respectful. Now, Leclerc, I didn't like that he was asking to get ahead. Okay, so we talked about Ferrari. Let's talk about Mercedes. One, Russell, 1.8 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton, the greatest driver of all time, who has not finished a season in, what, 10 years without winning a race. Correct. And George Russell looking for his first race win. That is a tough spot to be in as a team. You have sure. the ulti- the best of all time and your next prodigy coming up. What'd they say to them? Hey, you're just going to have to race this one out. Yep. And you can't... You- you're Don't totally respectful because you can't say to George Russell in that point, give up your first win ever so that Lewis Hamilton can have one of something he's got 300 of. Yep. So also respectful. Hey, Hamilton, you want it? Go fucking get it. The kid's yep. right up there. 100%. Go get They're it. Not gonna stay Both of them yep. respected it. After the race, Lewis Hamilton was the biggest supporter of George Russell. George Russell was in tears. Lewis Hamilton was clapping him on the podium. You don't 100%. see that a lot. You do not yeah. clap someone who's finished ahead of you. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Mercedes without Total Wolf, who I think Total Wolf is a genius when it comes to to stuff like this, handled it perfectly. Perfectly. Now, let's get to the fucking Red Bull team that I don't understand, that I hate now. All right. Just when everything was fine. You want to say something before I get into this? Let me tee it up. Let me just tee it up because there are, I know there are people who listen to this show who may not have watched, may have only watched highlights. Let's just let's just make sure that we're all on board. I'll set the I'll set the table. Down. I'll set the table. You can go you go to town on on the wings once they're prepared. Okay, here we go. End of this race, you have Red Bulls running in fifth and sixth. At the time, it's originally it's Sergio and 
um, and, and Max in that order. And then it became very clear that Max had a bit more pace. So Red Bull allowed Max to go ahead. They said, why don't you go get Charles? You can catch Leclerc and get ahead of him. That's beneficial because then we'll take some points off of his finish. They let him do that. I think there was about 10 laps left when they did that. Then it became quite clear he wasn't going to catch him. And so the team order came in over the radio. Hey, if you don't catch Leclerc by turn 14, we need you to give up your position to allow uh, Checo to get the points because he obviously needs them. Radio silence. They reiterate, hey, Max, make sure you know after turn 14, you need to give back the position. Turn 14 comes. Hey, Max, give up the position. Radio silence. At the same time, they are telling Perez, hey, Max is going to give you the spot back, team orders. Okay, great. Max crosses the line in uh, fifth position. Max crossed the line sixth, Perez seventh. Sorry, that's right. There was one eight points for Perez, or eight points for Verstappen, six points for Perez. So that's right. Alonso was ahead of him. That's that that was the 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 hold up there. Immediately following that, the radio calls come in going, hey, Max, what happened? As in, what the fuck? Max's response, very curt and to the point. Hey, I've told you, don't ask me to do that again. I've made my reasons clear. And then it's radio silence again. Checo, clearly upset, makes it very clear that he's like, well, great, there you go. That tells you what kind of guy he is. Even Christian Horner has come on, come on the radio to apologize to Sergio Perez in the race, at the end of this race, making it very clear this was clearly not what the team wanted. Now, both drivers obviously upset, frustrated. Neither of them go to the podium. They go, they weigh in. And then there is this very uncomfortable exchange that is caught on camera through the window of Red Bull where you can clearly see a heated Christian Horner, a heated Max Verstappen and his, his team in a conversation. Few minutes later, they end up in the paddock, uh, you know, press junket. There, Sergio's still confused, still upset. He says something along the lines of, "Well, Max has two championships because of me," and Max is over there saying, "No, no, we've all sorted it out. Everybody's happy. We've shook hands. Everything's good. I had my reasons." I'm hearing two very different stories. Number one, I'm hearing spin, 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 and then the real shit we get on the radio, which is one of the reasons I absolutely love the sport because you get the raw, true emotion that there's no bullshit yeah. can cut through that. I know you want to go off on this. This is oh, for man, me. I'm dying. This is for me maybe like the best story of the weekend only because of what it, the implications bigger picture are for it. It's quite obvious uh, that there is some serious uh, internal strife there. Take it See, away. You know, here's my here's my problem. Doesn't that fucking ruin the weekend for you? Because it ruined the weekend for me. This was the greatest weekend of the year and it and all anyone wants to talk about is that fucking Max Verstappen is a bitch, just like he's always been a bitch. And that's all anyone can talk about. And he was on best behavior all year because he's been winning. But once he starts things not happen his way for one race, he goes back to being this little giant baby that ruined the entire, it's all anyone's talking about over the last 24 hours. Everyone should be talking about Kevin Magnuson and his pole position and then getting spun out by Ricardo. Everyone should be talking about George Russell winning his first race ever everyone should be talking about how mercedes is back and their front wing that they fixed and the bottom is no longer porpoising and it's actually winning them races but instead we're talking about how max verstappen is being a bitch to his teammate who let's go back to last year let's go back to last year silverstone 2021 sergio comes into pit just to take away a point from lewis hamilton as the fastest lap turkey 
2021. Perez does nothing but defend Hamilton so that Hamilton finishes in P5, completely gives up moving any forward just to hold Hamilton back so that Verstappen could get more points in Turkey in 2021. Brazil, 2021. Oh, man, he comes in. We know how Hamilton did last year, but Perez came in again against anything else just to take another point away as fastest lap away from Lewis Hamilton. That's like 10 points right there already that I'm talking about. This is just stuff that I was easily able to Google this morning based off of what the I fuck got, happened. I got more. You want the rest of them? I, I got more left too. We got Baku 2021. That's right. He keeps Hamilton behind him, forces a mistake on the restart, costs Hamilton points again. Now, you might have more, but I'm going to jump straight to 2021 Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that's the, the race that fucking won Max Verstappen a championship based off of a decision that was not made by anyone involved with Let's driving a car. He didn't win a championship. He was given a championship. He was given a championship because of someone who was not involved with driving a car, Correct. touching a car, or having anything to do with a team of a car. All Sergio Perez did in that race was hold Lewis Hamilton back so that Lewis was not able to make another pit stop to get better tires. He had to stay out there, hold his position, which is the reason that Max Verstappen won a championship. Or else Lewis Hamilton would be 28 points ahead of him based on just those five fucking races that I just talked about. Max Verstappen, all he had to do on Sunday was give one place up to Sergio Perez to make up for all of the things Perez just did to him and get Perez two points ahead of Leclerc. Right now they're tied at 290 points on the constructors. And all Max had to do was let Verstappen pass because he wasn't able to get any further. Hey, if he was able to pass Alonso, if he was able to pass signs, then fine, whatever. You're taking points away from them, but you didn't do shit. So give it up to Perez who fucking handed you part of a championship that you already don't deserve. And not only that, but it happened the Saturday as well when Perez finished behind Verstappen in the sprint race and said, hey, I kind of need that point against Leclerc. Is Would you think Verstappen would be able to give it up? And he didn't. And right then I knew that Max Verstappen is a piece of shit. He's not a good teammate. And I've had people say, well, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't like that. Kobe Bryant wasn't like that. Fuck you, they weren't like that. All Michael Jordan did was say, hey, I need more guys to help me out. I need more players to help me out. All Kobe, Kobe hated Shaq, but he knew that he needed Shaq to get to where he was. So he fed him the ball so that Shaq would have 30 points every game, just like Kobe did. Max Verstappen is not going to win another championship because of why he's acting. Sergio Perez has no reason to help him out anymore. All Verstappen needs, you need a teammate. Whether you believe it or not, you need a teammate who's going to help you defend guys, who's going to help you with strategy, who's going to help you see things in a track you might not see. Max Verstappen just alienated the only guy that's ever fucking done that for him. So why this is why it was easy for me to be like, hey, Russell, they got the car now. They have more money going towards next year than, than Red Bull has. They've got more time in the, the dome, the vacuum dome, wind tunnel, yeah. wind tunnel to, to figure this stuff out. So the only thing you have, Max Verstappen, is Sergio Perez in your corner, a guy that had no career that knew, hey, I'm going to come here and just put my hat, my team hat on and do whatever I'm supposed to do. And the one time, the one weekend, you can return the favor. You don't do it. And then you act like a bitch after that is not going to bode well for you or your career. It is a huge mistake. It will cost him a championship. Maybe not next year, maybe not the year after that, but something's going to happen where he will regret that decision. And in 10 years say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been a dick to Checo because guess what? 
more fans like Checo as well. A lot of people like Max Verstappen because he's good, but more people like Checo because of who he is and what he's done for Max Verstappen. And guess what? More people like Lewis Hamilton and more people like George Russell, more people like Ferrari and Leclerc and Sainz. You were not well-liked in this sport, Verstappen. The one time you had a chance to to turn that around, you choose not to do it? It doesn't make sense in any, like Red Bull can say, oh, well, he's our best driver. But hey, guess what? He just cost you a bunch of merchandise because now he's going against an entire country that's cheering for Checo, that loves the sport. Look, I mean, I think you're right. I think the key piece of all of this is it was an act of selfishness uh, and short-sightedness in the same sense, right? He was thinking about himself instead of thinking about his own team and the bigger ramifications. We've seen Max win because he's been selfish, and now we've seen Max cost his team potentially. And moreover, as you say, you know, he screwed his teammate. Look, if both Leclerc and Perez don't score points or don't finish next week, Perez cannot win because Leclerc wins the tie break. He's got one more mm-hmm. uh, win. That's, that's what it is. They've got the same number of podiums. It's three to two on wins. That's what it's going to be. This legitimately could cost him that opportunity. And three points. there's no guarantee that he's going to have the, the car to catch Ferrari or Mercedes, who are clearly very, very competitive going into this next race. This is not what you, this is not how good teammates behave. It's not how strategic teammates behave. It's not how good people behave. And that is who Max Verstappen is. He is a selfish, self-centered, and frankly, in this situation, crappy teammate. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And so his defense and what they were saying on Sky Sports was that Perez intentionally spun out in Monaco to cost Verstappen a pull. Even if that is true, you know what that would tell me if I was Max Verstappen is, hey, my teammate's not happy with me right now. What can I do to further that? Because he just won me a championship I did not deserve. Instead of taking it the other way. And unfortunately, Max doesn't think that way. He doesn't think that he didn't deserve it. And that's where the big problem lies here. He's, he's completely and utterly delusional. Here's the irony of all ironies. You know, all of the fucking coverage of this next week is going to be recapping last year. It's oh, going yeah. to be every highlight package is going to be about that. This oh, yeah. is the story. This is the drama. This was already going to be the drama. And now on top of that, you add in spoiled brat as yeah. part of the undertone. And it just makes it even more ugly for Red Bull. Like this... Red Bull desperately now just wants the season to be over. They would just you like know, so you go know what away. I would they do? got their championships. They'd like to run away. And this is the thing that makes me angry about Christian Horner and Red Bull. Because every other sport in the world, and I'm not wrong about this, you know what they would do to punish Max Verstappen? They'd bench him. Take him out of the fucking seat for this race. 100%. He's got nothing to gain. He's got nothing to lose. Take but him no, out. Instead, he, has to, he could get another, he could get another instead, victory. Instead, though, they will make a show of how yeah. he helps out now. They will make a spectacle of how he is helpful. You've already got Horner on on you know uh, online talking about to 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 whoever he's being interviewed by. Oh yeah, you know, no worries. We know this will be the team plan. He will make sure that Sergio has a great weekend. So why didn't I, he do that last is, weekend? Yeah, do that. He just last had an opportunity to, to do that. Why are you you know what difference does that make anyway? Because you also, if you help Perez last weekend and then Verstappen wins this weekend and Perez gets on the podium. Wow, what a season for Red Bull. Amazing. But instead, you've just cursed your entire season based off of it's just drama with you guys again. It's always going to be drama at Red Bull. And it comes from Christian Horner all the way down to the bottom. The thing is this. Most most villains don't know they're the villain. 
right? And and a lot of times True. fans of villains don't recognize their villains either. There is no way you can plead ignorance anymore. Max Verstappen is a bad guy. Yeah. He is a bad guy in this sport. It's like when when the the baby face turns heel in wrestling. It's like Guys, it's obvious now. You can't pretend it isn't anymore. It's not he's always teaming up with such and such for a one-off match. No, he is out now as the heel. Plain yeah. and simple. He is F1's bad guy. If you are still cheering for him and you're not Dutch, I'm concerned for you. I am Dutch. If you're cheering for him and you're Dutch, I'm concerned for you. <laughs> you are cheering for the bad guy. Period. Yes. yes, you are. And that is, and again, like I said, the punishment in any other sport would be take him out of the seat and give it to whoever the backup driver is or whoever the test driver is who has everything to gain and who you lose, you lose who gives a shit, but Max Verstappen, there is nothing good that is going to come out of this weekend for Max Verstappen. You might as well tell him to go home. He can take the girlfriend he stole from the other driver two years ago and he can, he can go home and spend time with her because the guy's a piece of shit. You can't cheer for him. And people who say, oh, I like to win, I like to win. You weren't cheering for Lewis Hamilton for eight years, who's a great guy, who does nothing but great things outside of the sport. You're cheering for a villain because you're also kind of a piece of shit then. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've pretty much uh, beat that dead horse. Uh, let's leave it alone for now. That it's dead called bull. Like most call of our viewers. Bull? Red bull. Piece. Look, you <laughs> called most of our viewers a piece of shit if they're fans of Verstappen. That's true. That's true. But look. Stand by uh, I stand they, by. they may have fast forwarded just to get to this part anyway you missed That's a true. lot of really good stuff we've done some great analysis of a lot of other things you should go back and listen <laughs> to it now if you don't that's okay we're going to be right back after this quick break and we will talk about where we're going uh in a week's time and what else we know all right hey tyler yeah do you like basketball do i <laughs> Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Deller Coltman talk hoops every week of the NBA season. No topic from the hard court is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Let's wrap this up quickly because we've we've definitely gone over time on this one, which is fine. We've only got two more of these, Tyler. We got we to gotta get them yeah. get, get them in. We're about to have like, five months of of none of this yeah um, I, I we, been, i've been so stressed about what's gonna come what are you gonna do for mondays for a couple of months yeah all right let's talk let's talk about abu dhabi in a second before we do that really quickly we, we've always spent a little bit of time talking about the driver's market we pretty much know where it's going to be it'll be announced this week yes. nico hulkenberg will be the second driver at Haas joining Kevin Magnuson. Speaking about teammates who've had, or not teammates, but drivers who've had some tumultuous uh, interactions in the past. I don't know if you remember this. A couple years ago, when Hulkenberg was driving for Renault, um, there was an incident where he was cut off by Magnuson in his Haas. And in the uh, press conference space or the, the interview paddock after, after the race, Hulkenberg kind of walked up and confronted K-Mag, uh, said something to him that was inaudible. And as he walked away, the uh, TV cameras just heard Magnuson turn around and called him or, or told him to suck his balls. Uh, I believe was the exact terminology. <laughs> so now you got two teammates who've had some interactions, but look for Haas, obviously a difficult decision to part ways. I'm sure with the uh, brand that is Schumacher, not necessarily the uh, price tag, 
that has come with the way he's been driving as of recently. A lot of uh, incidents that have cost them a lot of money, but they do give up a lot of that very lucrative German F1 market there by, by removing him. They keep a German driver. Nico Hulkenberg's German, but he's definitely no Schumacher. Nico Hulkenberg, though, is a much more steady and more, more experienced hand for them. Is this a sign that Haas is preparing to try to take a step forward and are trying to maybe legitimize some of the growth they've had and become a bit more of a contender in the midfield? I think if I was at Haas... And the reason for bringing Hulkenberg in over Schumacher is they're both German, so you don't lose the German market. Yeah, but Schumacher is a bit bigger draw. It's a bigger draw. You're not wrong about that. But Hulkenberg's okay. been in the sport before. He sure. already has an established base. Sure. So you have the Michael Schumacher fans that that like aren't that would obviously love to see Mick Schumacher be in there, but they probably don't love him. They love his father. So. Once his father left, the only guy left was Hulkenberg. So they probably all already diverted over to Hulkenberg. Oh, there's Vettel. Yeah, Vettel too. Yeah, there's probably most of them probably went to Vettel actually. Yeah, I think so. Damn, there goes my whole theory. But you give up, you give up Mick Schumacher. <laughs> He's gone now though, so he is the only German left now. So you go to an established name that's already German. That, but a mindset in Haas is we got to stop, for all better words, farting around here. We got to look like a serious team. We have to present ourselves as a serious team. It's the same way that like kind of the NBA did. I know I talk about the NBA a lot, but they put a dress code. And it's like, Hey, we got to kind of, we got to kind of fancy this up a little bit. We got to be more adults. Every team needs every team of rookies or whatever needs adults. And I know that they now have two, but they can rely more on the driver decisions because they don't realize, or they don't understand why their team decisions aren't making any sense because they're not terrible. They, like they said, they put, um, Magnuson in a perfect spot to win pole by having him the first guy out there on the track for qualifying three. So they're putting their team drivers in a good spot. They just don't want to rely on those drivers making smart decisions or rookie decisions anymore. And also Schumacher kind of said, like, I don't want to be here anymore either. So if you already have a guy that's in that mentality, yeah, let him go. Yeah. No, I don't. And I think that it ended up being the right decision for them. They'll make it official this week and then we'll have a full driver's lineup to look at. Yeah, uh, we can talk about cool. that. We can talk about that next week as we wrap up the season. But let's really quickly here set you up for Abu Dhabi. I don't think much needs to be said about the race last year. In fact, I think it's probably better if we don't do that. But because uh, that's all is, they're going to be talking about. Yeah, you're weekend. going to hear more than enough of that in the pre the pre race uh, and all of the lead up to it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there's still some storylines here. Obviously, this Red Bull situation is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You've got a battle for second, both in the constructors and in the drivers' championships to watch. I think Alpine's kind of put McLaren away on that front, but there's still some interesting matchups there. It'll be interesting to see how Alpha um, Romeo does. They actually had a pretty good sprint, but then just had no pace in the race last week. Mm -hmm. But obviously, the big question mark is, is this Mercedes pace real? Will we see Lewis push or Russell push here to get one more victory for Mercedes? Does Red Bull just come storming right back with a bit more of what we've seen all season long in terms of pace? You know, was this a bit of an anomaly for them? Are they back? Uh, are they ready to sort of close out the season trying to get Perez a win, I guess, uh, or not? Um, and obviously, you know, there's some drivers that we're going to have to say goodbye to. Uh, a few of them, I think it's a little less um, emotional to say goodbye to Latifi, Schumacher, uh, but there's a big one here, and you know the end of a career for Sebastian Vettel, um, three-time champion, 
very, very popular in this sport. I think only got more and more popular the older he got, um, the more outspoken he got. Um, but that's a big one. And then it'll be interesting to see how the drivers who are leaving teams to perform. What are the biggest storylines or what are the things you're looking for in Abu Dhabi? Well, it's a great track. Um, first of all, it's got like slow speed corners. It is a Mercedes track. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, like, they, it they does won have last year. like oh, wait. a lot of the lows. No, Should have won last year. Should have won last year. Yeah. They did win last year, but did, someone took it away from them. Um, like turns 10, 11, and 12 forced drivers to break hard. So a lot of lateral load on the back of the car, which doesn't bode well for Red Bull. Um, I just want to see Red Bull lose this. I actually feel bad for Perez, though. This is the whole thing. But the Constructors' Championship, again, like I say this all the time, you can't just watch the front of the track, like the front pace, the front of the cars, the top of the, the leaderboard. Mercedes can technically still catch Ferrari. They're 21. Ferrari's 21 points ahead. Mercedes would have to finish 1-2, and one of the Ferraris would have to finish 8th, and the other one maybe not finish at all, but it's still possible for the second place team. Alpine McLaren is still possible as well, but you need both McLarens to finish top five and Alpine not to finish at all. Um, so those are kind of like not that close, but still possible. Alpha Romeo, Aston Martin is when it gets a little interesting because they're only Alpha Romeo is only five points ahead of Aston Martin. So Vettel has a great Vettel could be a hero. He could go out a hero here finish extremely high one of the alfa romeos doesn't finish and they get those five points he puts that aston martin in sixth above alfa romeo his last race he goes out a hero and then you have haas alfa tori which alfa tori is just as screwed up as alpine is right now haas is kind of on a high because of how um madison did last weekend Haas is two points ahead of Alvatore, so you can watch that race as well. Now, that's constructors. Not a lot of people think about constructors. Let's go to the drivers quick, because this is where you don't want to watch Verbaby because he's already won. I don't even think he should be on the fucking track. But then you have Leclerc and Perez tied at 290. So last year, we had Verbaby and Lewis Hamilton, the greatest champion of all time, tied. So now it's down to a Ferrari, Leclerc, and a Red Bull, Perez, that are going to make this race interesting. Tied that is your race right there to watch. That's what you want to watch. Then you have Russell, who's 25 points ahead of Hamilton. He will finish fourth place no matter what. Goes down to Hamilton Science. Now, this is the thing I was talking about with Science. Science can pass Hamilton if he finishes seven points ahead of him, which he could do, which is very capable of, of Science finishing top five, just like he did last year, and Hamilton going down to the bottom to, to sixth place. Then you got uh, Alpine. So not only is Alpine fighting first, like that they're holding on, but Alonso's, uh, sorry, Ocon is five points ahead of Alonso. And you can't tell me right now that Alonso does not want to do everything he can to finish his, his career at Alpine ahead of the person he hates most on that track. The other guy he calls him. Yeah, the other guy. So he needs five points ahead of Ocon. And like, say what you will about Ocon. He's had a great year. He's yep. consistently in the top 10. He's, yeah. yeah, he's a little bit dangerous, and he doesn't listen to, to his teammate at all. But To be fair, though, if either of those two drivers deserve to be ahead of it, it is Alonzo. Alonzo has had a phenomenal year. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. But Ocon doesn't... It's not like he doesn't deserve to be in eighth place where he is right now. He's just a less heroic of a guy. Um, and then you go down to Vettel, who's fighting Ricardo. Every, I think everyone's rooting for Vettel at this point. 
both those guys can go away. But another driver who may never see F1 again. Just saying. From I, Ricardo's perspective, very important race. I would extremely. very strongly recommend he doesn't run into the side of anyone on the fourth corner of this race. Yeah, especially the hero of the weekend so far. Yeah, probably maybe not the best idea. Watch these two guys hit each other, and their races are done after for, after aye, lap one. Aye, aye. I think Vettel has a better chance of coming back to Formula One than Ricardo does. But uh, Rowdy, <laughs> Rowdy, the German team. Anybody, I don't know why you would want Ricardo on your team. But uh, then we got Gasly and Magnussen. Gasly's two points behind Magnussen. Um, It might not mean anything to anybody. It means a lot to me. Uh, (laughs) Then you got Stroll, who's fighting Sunata Sunata and Michael Schumacher, or uh, Mick Schumacher, um, for 15th. And then it kind of goes down. Nobody cares about anybody under that that, because they're not going to get any points. It's a big race. And look, it's the end of the season. It's been a very exciting season. We'll wrap it all up next week. But as you say, if anyone out there is thinking for a moment that there aren't things to still care about and still watch in Formula One at this point of the season, you're dead wrong. Dead it's wrong. exciting. It'll be exciting. You know, my favorite part about this race, uh, which is sad because I actually really like this race prior to this. Now, we can have conversations about whether or not we should be racing in several of these countries mm. based on their human rights records. But, you know, we're not going to have that conversation today. Abu Dhabi is the only race in the Formula One schedule that starts with the sun up and ends with the sun down. Yeah, that's cool. So that's so sun, cool. Let's the not sun underestimate sets that. about half an hour into the race if everything goes on schedule, uh, and you do have to, you know, prepare as a driver to have those changing conditions. It's like a football game, you know, that starts late afternoon, and by the time you're into second half, the lights are on. It's awesome. It looks great. It's a great way for the season to end. Um, as I said, you know, it should be a great way for the end, the season to end traditionally, um, and it it for me. Very successful, very exciting season. Lots of different storylines. This is a great way for it to end for for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of different things to chase, as you pointed out, and and I'm excited for it. We'll set you up for it here really quick so you know where you're going. November 19th, that's the Friday, which is a regular qualifying. Pardon me, that's the Saturday. There's a regular qualifying. 6 a.m. if you're watching here on the Pacific Coast um, or wherever else in the North American time zones you're watching it. You can check your local listings. And then the race is 5 a.m., on Sunday, November 20th. We will be back on the following Tuesday with the final race uh, recap of the season. Tyler, you have one more thing. This is your last prediction you can do all year. Who do you got? You got Leclerc or Perez? To win? To to No, to get to, to oh. finish ahead in the constructor, the driver's oh. standards. Perez. Perez will get it. And it'll all be Max will be able to walk away at the end of this saying, oh, see, it, was, it never really mattered in the first place. See, that sucks. Yep, it does. But see, I'm hoping my best case scenario, I want Leclerc to finish. I do like Leclerc, Um, but I have a soft spot for Perez because of what he has become over what he was before or perceived as to be as before. But I hope Leclerc wins by two points because that is the all Perez needed from the last race. Last weekend was three points that Verstappen could have gifted in. So I hope Leclerc wins by two points. Can I tell you what I want? Red Bull sinks to the ground. That's awesome. That's awesome. It, It breaks them. Here's what I want. Two laps to go in this race. Russell leading Lewis. Russell lets Lewis win. Dude, that would be too nice of a guy. Telling you. He's got his one win for the year. He wants his other teammate there. It's ultimate teammate and the biggest F you to Red Bull. Yeah. That would be the that would oh my god. Podium. I hope that happens. We're a fucking team over here. Oh my god. Man, All I right. hope that someone at Mercedes is like, 
hasn't thought about that. And they just listened to this for some reason. We're like, hey, these two guys in Vancouver just came up with this great idea to get back at Red Bull. Who are they? Nobody. Play. They're nobody's. Yeah. The ultimate revenge play. All right. You can watch that and all of it. It'll take place this weekend. As I said, uh, we will be back the following Tuesday, uh, November 22nd. It will be our final episode of this season. Uh, we will recap what happens in Abu Dhabi. We will recap the season at large. And then we will all take some greatly needed rest before they set up for next season, which will come very quickly. I know it will. Tyler, as always, thank you very much. Uh, I need you to now go have like a cold shower or something and chill the fuck out because I know that that got a little intense for you. Uh, thank you to our listeners out there for sticking with us all season long. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Until then, thank you for listening. And, uh, and, I didn't do a very good job wrapping this up, but that's the end of our show. Good night. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.